0: morning I echo uh, Vicki's welcome to you and along with her and uh, Pastor Keith Nestor my name is Mike Morgan and we're the lead ministry team here at First Methodist Church, United Methodist Church here in Marion and if you're visiting for, uh, with us for the first time we're glad you're here and if you're here every week we are glad you're here and uh, this is the community of faith Pastor Keith and I are working through in these uh, uh, 10 or 12 weeks here during the fall. Uh, this series about uh, that simply focuses it on the fact that because we believe we we do things, we we act as disciples. And so we're talking about discipleship uh, the next uh, month or so. And today we're going to focus around the concept uh, that a disciple attends worship regularly and practices evangelism. Keith has been led to three scripture readings uh, that will guide him in this talk and lead us through it, hear these words uh, first from Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And the second scripture comes from Matthew 10, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. In a third scripture, Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 16, he said to them, go into all the world and preach preach the gospel to all of creation. These are the words of God that the Holy Spirit shall use to shepherd us today. Let us pray that we might follow. O Lord, our God, we ask your blessing on Keith as he comes to speak. Lord, he's your beloved son, our pastor. And we ask that you just fill him with the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, so that those words that you desire us to hear in our ears and in our hearts might be spoken through this voice in advance of that happening. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Amen. Good morning. So if you have your your white sheets, you can turn to the back side in your bulletin that has the blank spot for taking notes and see our definition of discipleship as we uh, move through this. Now, we're going to use a lot of churchy words in here today. You're you're for that, right? You like churchy words? Words like discipleship, evangelism, all, you know, churchy kind of stuff. Because you're here, you're in church, and that's what disciples do, right? They go to church. We're going to talk about that. Now, as I say this, I understand that you're already here. So my my goal is not to like trying to preach a message on why you should come to church because you're already here right but just maybe you might hear a message and think hey i need to go to church more or now i understand why i don't know we'll see but here's what i do know that a disciple doesn't just live in a vacuum and 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 jesus calls his disciples to to follow him and 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 as disciples we need to recognize how important it is that we have each other and that we come together to worship the living God. I, I was thinking about when the disciples were called by Jesus. You know, they were regular people just like you and me. They, they, they weren't like homeless drifters that had no purpose in life. That were kind of just taking, you know, taking applications for various people to go follow because they needed something to do. These were were men with jobs, they were men with families, they had businesses, they had obligations, they had all sorts of things that they were involved in. And Jesus' invitation to follow him came in the midst of, of everything that they had going on in their lives. So when he said to them, follow me, it literally meant drop everything and change your life and go. And this couldn't have been easy for them. Just like it isn't easy for us. Now at one point in time, one of the disciples asked Jesus, hey Jesus, what about us? What do you have for us? We've left everything to follow you. It's a great question, isn't it? Because that's really ultimately why we're here. And that's what this sermon's about. What does a disciple do? A disciple attends church and, and, and evangelizes. Well, what about that? Well, I want to share with you a little bit of the context of this question. And I think it's probably the most parallel example to what many of us experience today when it comes to our call to discipleship. It comes from Matthew uh, chapter 19. It's a, it's a familiar story for many of you. It's the story of what we call the rich young ruler. Now, that's a title we give it, but this comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? "'Why do you ask me what is good?' Jesus replied. "'There is only one who is good. "'If you want to enter life, keep the commandments.' "'Which ones?' he inquired. "'Jesus replied, "'You shall not murder, "'you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, "'you shall not give false testimony, "'honor your father and mother, "'and love your neighbor as yourself.' "'All these I have kept,' the young man said. "'What do I still lack?' "'Jesus answered, "'If you want to be perfect,' Go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So we'll stop right there for a second and I'll just ask this question You know, what about the disciples that saw this encounter? when they saw this rich man come up and, and and have Jesus personally invite him the way that he personally invited them. And for them, maybe they had reservations too or maybe they had different things going on. But when Jesus said, here's what you got to do, come follow me, every one of these 12 men said okay and did it. But this was a time when someone said no. I wonder if the disciples were freaked out by that. What do you think their reaction was? Well, This is when Peter speaks up and answers, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things... When the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So He's speaking specifically to those twelve apostles here, and saying, this is going to be your role when I come in My glory. But then He includes all the rest of us, and He says this, and as for everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields. I think the idea is, whoever has left anything to follow me for my sake will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. You see, there are some people who always seem to be first, don't they? And typically it's because they have the greatest amount of resources, they have the most wealth, they've figured out a way in life to achieve the most, and the world kind of puts them first in many things, doesn't it? You know what I'm talking about. There's some people who just always manage to, to find a way to be first. I remember when Pastor Mike talked about how one of the foundational rules of the Methodist church was, in our churches the pews will always be free. Because we didn't want to see that mentality, that worldly mentality, creep into the church, right? Because it's interesting. Sometimes you can still find that in churches where, you know, a a family will, will buy a pew or donate a pew in memory of someone, and that's just their pew. And if, God forbid, you sit in their pew, they'll let you know about it. You know, we've had that even. People come in looking for a place to say, hey, this is where my seat is. You know, God forbid... Jesus says, look, if that's the way the world works, understand this, in the kingdom of heaven, it's the opposite. People who've, who've always been first their whole lives, typically because they've found a way to achieve more, do more, gain more, put themselves first more, those folks are going to be last. And those who are used to being last will be first. You see, these disciples, as they looked on to see this encounter with this rich young man, I think a part of them looked at that and said, hey, this guy gets to just go and, and have his wealth? Well, what about us? Now, I don't think they were jealous, though, but I think they were curious. And Jesus responds He's not afraid of the question, What about those of us who've followed you and unfollowed other things? Jesus says, You you are going to get a reward beyond what you can possibly imagine. See, I think this story is parallel to, to us as a culture, because, like this man, we are rich. And we want eternal life. But we're not always so sure that we want to follow Jesus. So here's what I mean. You know, you might say, well, I'm not rich. Well, guess what? Compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. I don't care what your, what your income is. If you live in this country, when you're compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. And we want eternal life, right? That's why we're here. We want to know the deeper answers to the world's mysteries and the mysteries of the universe. And we would say, yes, I want that quality of life and I want that eternal life and then Jesus shows up and invites us to follow him but for some people we would rather instead of following Jesus trust in ourselves and our ability to do the right things to be moral and to keep the commandments than following Jesus but make no mistake about it remember this Discipleship isn't about what you do; it's about who you follow. See, this rich young ruler came to Jesus, and this was a guy who was used to getting things done, wasn't he? Because he was rich, so he must have been good at something. So he knew how to get stuff done. He had the ability to earn wealth and accumulate it, and and, and he wants to know, hey. What do I have to do to, eat, to inherit eternal life? Look what I've already done to get wealth here. But what do I have to do, Jesus? Tell me the, the, the thing I must do. Give me the secret. And a lot of people are looking for that, aren't they? A lot of us are looking for just tell me what to do. I don't need to hear about all the other stuff. Just cut to the chase, pastor. Tell me what I got to do. The piece for me to put notes on on my bulletin's is only that big. I can only write one thing, right? Tell me what I got to do. And Jesus said, it isn't about what you have to do about who is good he said no one is good but God alone meaning himself identifying himself as God he said okay you want to talk about what you do mister tell me about the command oh I got this and I've done the commandments and Jesus says great you want something to do then get rid of all that and follow me see now he's crossed the line from just give me something to do to change my life it's a big difference there so you got to remember discipleship is not just about learning it's not just about morality it's not just about believing following jesus means not following other things and today we highlight these two components of our discipleship definition attending church and practicing evangelism and these are not just simply things that you do they have to deal with who we follow so let's talk about church for a moment church attendance in the context of this idea of following jesus i mean let's face it culturally across the board church attendance is in free free fall now we read articles like this kind of thing all the time the the conference sends us things or our peers send us things and i think sometimes they want us to feel better about ourselves to say well you know it's not just the methodists all across the world all across north america about last 40 years church attendance has been in free fall Now, what's that all about? And even among people who consider themselves religious or even Christians, church attendance has just plummeted. Why? Perhaps it's because many are like this rich young ruler. We We want it all, and we want to have Jesus too. And sometimes, let's face it, coming to church gets in the way of everything else that we want, so it doesn't make the list of top priorities. And we'll justify ourselves the same way this man did. But but, teacher, I, I've kept the rules. I'm, I'm a good boy. We'll point to our morality, and we'll say things like, well, you know, I'm a good person. I don't really need church. Or we'll say things like, you know, I don't need church. I can worship God anywhere. You ever see anybody doing that? I used to say that when I was growing up. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I can worship God in my room. I don't need church. You think I ever worship God in my room? People say I don't need. I don't need church. I can worship God on the golf course. You, you ever see that? I don't, I don't know. I'm here, you know. But you ever see or hear about that? Go to other, people using the Lord's name other than in vain, on on, on a golf course or or or. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I can worship God this and that. You know what? Let me tell you something. Yes, of course you can worship God anywhere, but we don't. Because it's not about that. You ever see somebody on the golf course reading their Bible? Or I'm not beating up golf. I just randomly picked that, by the way. Golf's fine, okay? Pastor, you don't like golf? Play golf. I don't care. Praise the Lord. Play some golf. Give it to Jesus, right? I'm just saying. Like, what are the, I don't know. What do people do? See, our point is this: if if we understand discipleship as a way to make us a good person, then then It's easy to justify ourselves not going to church because we can say, well, I don't need church because I'm already a good person. But here's what's convenient about that. We're the ones that get to decide that we're a good person. Isn't that great? If I get to decide that I'm a good person, whatever that means, then I can justify doing or not doing anything I want. I can say, well, I don't have to do that. I'm a good person already. And that's what following Jesus is all about, right? Make me a good person. Well, guess what? He's got to be happy with me because I'm already there. I didn't even take up a seat. See, it's interesting how when we fail to understand the gospel, coming to church can get pushed aside. Now, people have all these different statistics and reasons why church attendance is declining. And, and, and I read somewhere that 87% of all statistics, did you know this? 87% of all statistics are just completely made up. It's true. That statistic is growing, by the way. But people want to come up with all sorts of reasons, and, and this, this is hilarious. It, it sends church leaders into a frenzy. We, you know, one of the reasons why people say we, we, that church attendance declines is because church is just not relevant to my life. It just doesn't affect my life anymore, you know. So, so church leaders are trying to figure out ways to make church more like everybody else's life and make it more relevant. Now, I believe me, I think church needs to be relevant. There's nothing more frustrating when, when you come to church and it has nothing to do with anything that you can relate to. But do we need to make church more like everywhere else that we go? I mean, that's a, that's a philosophy of ministry, to try to make church feel more, le- you know, some people say, we got to make church not be like church. We can't talk about, you know, Jesus too much. And we can't talk about, you know, things that are hard to hear. And we've got to make it look less like a church and and more like a this and less like... And so then other people say, we've got to make it look more like a church. You know what? Let me tell you what a church looks like. Look around. Wherever we are, that's what a church looks like. But some people think, oh, well, that's the answer. Some people think that, that it's because church doesn't make a real difference in the world so then that sends people into a frenzy of activity too to try to show the world that we care about the same causes they do so the church sometimes will get involved in all these causes that are fashionable of the day and say hey we're going to fix this we're going to do that you know george clooney wants to save the rainforest well so do we or whatever we care about what you care about we're leading the charge here we're the church you know what i think Hey, I'm really glad that you said yes and asked me that question or answer. I think the reason why most people who would say, Hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I I get why a non-Christian person doesn't want to go to church. That makes sense to me. Okay. But you want to know why I think a lot of Christian people don't go to church anymore? It's because they don't understand the gospel. See, when you don't understand the gospel... There's two reasons that, that you can stay away from church. The first reason is this. You, you think you don't need it because you're already good enough. So well, I'm a, remember I just said that I'm a good person. I don't, I don't need church because I'm good. Or the second reason is this. You think you're not worthy of it because you're not good enough. Oh, boy, I can relate to that too. You ever hear people talk like that? Oh, I could never go to church, man. I messed up. You know, I made some bad decisions. I did some horrible things. Or, or I'm, I'm a bad person. God wouldn't want me. I don't, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough. Oh, my gosh. I, I have a friend who, who we were getting ready to go to a, a, a wedding in a church, and he said, I, if I walk in there, the lightning will strike that place. We'll all die because of what I was doing. I understand that. So we either think we don't need church because we've already got it figured out, we're already good like the rich young ruler, or some of us say, oh, God, no, you don't want me. I'm not good enough. Well, guess what? When you don't understand the gospel— you're not going to understand church. So what is the gospel about? And how does church fit into discipleship? See, the gospel is the good news that God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and that Jesus has shown us the Father through His life, sacrificial death on the cross, and His resurrection. And through faith in him, our sins are forgiven and our relationship to God has been restored. See, the gospel is about what's already happened and it's about what is happening. It's not about, well, I got to be good. The gospel is about God, not you. The gospel is about what God has done, not what you're supposed to do. But it demands a response. See, similarly, church attendance isn't about being good either. It's about God being good. And our response to it. See, we come to church, and you know this. You come to church in community to worship God, to grow in your understanding of God, and to serve each other in the body of Christ. And there's reward there. Now i got to tell you, just a personal thing. I had a horrible week last week. Just gut-wrenching stuff. And when I walk into church this morning... I just felt the peace of God just come into my heart. I just felt God just reassure me. And I remember, I I literally thought to myself as I was walking from 745 service right out of there, coming to to be with you folks, the Lord just hit me. And I I said out loud to myself, because I do that sometimes, I just said, Man, I love this church. I love being here. I love you people. I love worshiping God with you. See, there's a reward there that comes from gathering in community. It's a reward there that comes from knowing that, you know what, I could be dealing with some stuff, but I could come here and I could get support. I could get love. And I don't even need to to tell you everything. I just need to to just be with you. And it matters. It's not about, oh, I got to go and learn the right thing so God will accept me. See, God is relational. He's called us to be in relationship with each other in a way that is centered on the gospel. And because Jesus served his disciples then we too we serve one another because jesus valued community we value community we come to church because of our love for god it's that simple and jesus called no part-time disciple no seasonal disciples and he promised those that who have left things behind that he will reward them graciously so i'm asking you this morning what did you leave behind this morning to come here and what joy do you have because of it consequently what joy is forfeited by those who like the rich young ruler choose to leave jesus behind and be in favor of other things you see a disciple stays with jesus a disciple leaves behind things of this world a disciple attends church regularly pastor mike read hebrews 10:24 doesn't let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, we're called to gather together to spur one another on, as the NIV says, to spur us on, to motivate, to encourage. When we meet together as a staff, oftentimes we ask that question. Hey, what do we need to do to move forward in this ministry? What do we need to do to keep growing? How can we involve more people? How can we share God's love with more? How can we do more? It's not because we're trying to, you know, ding a bell at the top of some church mountain. It's not because we're trying to, to outpace the Presbyterians. We did that a long time ago. It's not because we're, we're uh... I <laughs> wasn't in my notes. I'm sorry about that. But... <laughs> Did I just say that? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) God, help me. It's because we care about our mission. We care about our mission. And because we care, we also, like disciples, we practice evangelism. You know, that's our second component here. Disciples practice evangelism. There's that other churchy word, right? Oh, what's that? You an evangelist? I watched a documentary last night at 11 o'clock at night about, it was called Pint-Sized Preachers. It was about little four-year-old, little 10-year-old, and 12-year-old little preachers who, who get their hair all going and their suit, and they're praise Jesus. They're little, little evangelists. And I'm like, is that an evangelist? You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe day, that daycare is on fire for God. I don't know. But we think, that I'm not an evangelist. What's that? An evangelist. That sounds like something on TV. Evangelism just means simply telling other people about Jesus. And one of the things Jesus calls his disciples to do is to go and make other disciples. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So indeed, Jesus sent out his disciples two by two to preach to others about God. And when they came back from that, they would rejoice and be like, hey, wow, we're, we're not as good as you, Jesus, but they listened to us. That, that whole story about the father and the son, we messed that all up. But guess what? They still got saved. They still listened. It works. It did then. And you know what? It still does now we know nothing about the public speaking skill level of these people. We don't know if they felt comfortable. But what we do know is that Jesus commands all his disciples to tell others about him. So how are we doing with this? All right, I'm going to, I'm going to say two statements. And these are agree or disagree statements, okay? The first statement is this. I have a personal responsibility to tell other people about my religious beliefs. Now, agree or disagree. Just. Dis- Think it in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud. I don't have, like, a little card or something here for you, okay? a personal responsibility to tell other people about my religious beliefs. Now, I said earlier that 87% of all statistics were made up, but these statistics I'm going to give you now aren't. They came from, like, George Barna, who gets paid to make statistics, so he has to be right. Let me show you how how the church world answered this question, okay? Go ahead and put that graph up. I know you can't see that, but I'll just tell you what it says. At the top bar... People who consider themselves evangelical 100% agree with that statement. Now here's what you need to know. In order to be classified evangelical, you have to agree with that statement. So, they get a, that that one doesn't matter. Now, mainline, mainline, that's us. Mainline. What are mainline? Methodists, presbyterians, lutherans, some of the baptists, you know, kind of the the normal Christians. You know. <laughs> Did I just say that too? <laughs> Okay That's terrible 54% say that You know it's my responsibility To to share my religious beliefs with other people Okay Non-mainline You know Maybe I don't know Whatever I better shut up Okay 71% of non-mainline That's like the Bible churches The independent churches Kind of more the fundamentalist churches Some of the Baptists They have a little bit higher They do better on this Right, they have a more. They say they have more responsibility. Catholics, thirty-four percent, terrible. We, we we blew them in the dust right there. Okay, and then all Protestants together, 64 percent of Protestants say say I have a responsibility to do this. Okay, now I look at that, and if you're like me, I go, what is up with that? We aren't doing a very good job. But it gets worse. Here's the next the next uh, statement. During the past twelve months. I have explained my religious beliefs to someone in hopes that they might accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. This isn't about what you believe now. This is about what you do. All right, you ready for these stats? Go ahead. Evangelicals, remember the ones who who 100% believe that you have to do that? Here's the stats for this next one. Only 69% actually did it. And of the mainline denominations, only 42% have actually done that. Non-mainline denominations, 59%. Fifty nine percent, the Catholics thirty three percent. Hey, you got to give it to them; they're consistent. And Protestants fifty four percent. Now, people, I, I don't know how that makes you feel, but it makes me feel like we got some work to do. It, the fact that that almost half of us would say that it's not even our responsibility to share our faith with people, and yet even less than than those that say it is have actually done it in the past twelve months. Another statistic I heard recently was that the average United Methodist person invites someone to church once every fifty years. Some of you are behind. Once every fifty years, okay? Are you seeing what I'm what I'm what I'm saying here? You hear what I'm saying? Is that we we might just give this whole evangelism thing a little bit too much lip service and not enough action? You see, Jesus says, "Go and do this." This is what his disciples did. They went out into the world, and they shared their faith. Now, I know many people freak out, and they say, I don't know how to do that. I'll tell you, any business owner here will tell you that the best evangelism, the best advertisement is word of mouth, right? It's the truth. Now, when I find something I'm excited about, man, I can't shut up about it. I had dinner at this new restaurant, and I'm not going to tell you which one it was because it might not be your favorite, or you might own the one next door. But I, I've been like, oh, you got to go to this place. It's awesome. You know, we find something we're excited about. We, we tell other people about it. Is the same thing true for our faith? See, if it's true for anything, it should be true for our faith. And I want you to pray about this. I want you to pray about who might God be wanting you to share the gospel with. You know, our students are involved, our high school students. I opened up this new thing. We're, we're meeting together at my house on Sunday afternoons to, to do a discipleship intensive and basically all I'm doing is I'm giving them assignments throughout the week. We call it Fight Club. And I'm giving them these assignments. They come together and, and I say, here, here's your assignment. Go out and do it. And one of these assignments is you're going to, and I, this is a the sneak peek for some of you who are here. This isn't today's assignment, so just chill out. One of the assignments they're going to have to do is go share the gospel with a complete stranger this week. <clears throat> Think about that. It's kind of scary, isn't it? But here's what Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So how are you supposed to do that? Now, we could preach a sermon series on this for years about how to evangelize, but I don't think we need to. I think it's just as simple as sharing three stories. Sharing three stories, you can do that the first story is to hear their story. You don't even have to share that one. You just got to listen. When you get together with a person, find out what they believe and why. Find out what their experience has been with faith. Find out what their deal is. You know, oftentimes people do a whole lot of talking, not enough listening when, in these conversations. We need to find out what a person's got going on in their own self to, to lead them to where they are. Hear their story and then share your story. And it better not be just about, well... I go to church because it made me a good person. There better be more to it than that because they might already be a better person than you. it has got to be more than that. Share your story about who Jesus is. Share your story about how he's changed your life. Share your story about what your faith has meant to you and how it, how it impacts your life. And then lastly and most importantly, tell his story. Tell him the gospel. Tell him the good news about Jesus. Tell him what he's done. Tell him who he is. Tell him that he's a real person. I had, an, I had an opportunity to sit with the guy who's a non-believer uh, the other night in, my, in, 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 in an office and, 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 and just basically say to him, Look, this is the truth. I'm not telling you some myth. I'm telling you historic fact. This is what actually happened. This is what's real. And then let God do His work. It's not your job or my job to convert someone. That's God's job. But it is our job. All of our job. Not just the preacher. It's all of our job to share the gospel and to tell people about Jesus and simply invite them to follow him too. You don't have to kidnap them. Jesus didn't do that. You don't have to trick them. Hey, we got donuts. You don't have to do that. Although we do. You don't have to like try to, you know, bribe them. Just invite them and pray. And let God do the rest. You'll be amazed at what happened. The disciples were amazed when they did it. And Jesus says, yeah, that's kind of the idea. And you and I will be amazed too. And and this thing will get filled up real fast, won't it? See, we're not on some crusade to build a big church so we can, you know, rah-rah ourselves. We're doing it because it's our mission to preach the gospel to all creation. And we believe that it's going to be necessary because as we go out and share this good news, God's going to do great things. Disciple comes to church, and disciple practices evangelism. May it be true for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are awesome, and we thank you, God, for this people. Lord, we thank you that we get to experience what it means to be part of this community. God, and what it means to, to worship you together. Lord, I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters here. Some of them I don't even know by name, but God, the fact that they're part of this community, Lord, makes them family to me. And Lord, I thank you, God, for the spirit that we have here to open our hearts to anyone to extend that invitation. Lord, may we truly see your kingdom come. And God, we thank you for the promise that you give to us that whatever we've left behind will be paid back a hundred times. Because you love us and we've been called to follow you it's in Jesus name that we pray amen have a look at this video
2: Marian Methodist is special to me this is a place where I have grown in my faith my and grown in how I follow the Lord um, the Bible studies and the, the sermons and the things that we preach here um, they've just been fantastic to help me grow in, in my walk with the Lord choose to give my gifts and because I, I do believe that, you know, I've been blessed in many, many ways, and financial giving is a way that I can give back. Um, it also, you know, sets an example to our children. Our children have been very, very faithful in this church. They've grown in this church. It has been exciting to see how they gr- they've grown, and, and it, it shows them the importance we place in how we choose to give our, give our money and, and give back to the Lord. My name is Linda Payton. These are the reasons that I give to Marian Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping the Lord this way? Will the ushers please come forward?